Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Good morning, Southbridge. Thank you for joining us online today for our simulcast service. And many of you know that last week I was in Israel. And it is great to be back in the United States to sleep in my own bed. But I'll tell you, from the time that I left on March 6th till today, our world has changed quite a bit. And that's probably not news to any of you who are adjusting to a new normal. Many of our worlds have literally been turned upside down. Um, But today, as we open up the scriptures, we're coming to a God who is unchanging. In fact, he says in Malachi 3.6, I, the Lord, do not change. And church, if you've been with us for any amount of time, the beginning of this year or even last year, if you've been attending this church, I don't think it's any mistake that God sovereignly had us already doing a study through the book of Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount called Upside Down, and our worlds have been turned upside down. And if you remember, the subtitle of that, that sermon series is A New Normal. And here we are in a new world and adjusting to a lot of new normals. And I think that we should go to the Lord and just talk to him, the one who doesn't change, before we open up his word. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 today. If you've got a Bible, uh, go ahead and grab your Bible and open it up. And we'll be able to interact. You can comment on stuff just like you'd amen and talk to me as I was preaching. Um, but let's go to the Lord and pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you give us uh, your scriptures that are living and active, sharper than two-edged swords. And uh, Father, that you would speak to our hearts today. I pray as we look into your word that we would not just be hearers of the word. We wouldn't passively watch this or do other stuff, but that we'd be engaged in what you have to say to us and you'd have a word for us and that through that word that we'd be doers of that and you would change this world. God, we know that you're sovereignly in control. You could stop this at any moment, and you haven't. And uh, we trust you in this. But will you speak to us? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, as I was saying, I was in Israel uh, last week with a team of folks from Southbridge. And many people have written me and asked, you know, how was it? Were you safe? What took place? And we kind of flew under the radar. And most of the things that happened, we got there on March 6th. And it wasn't until a few days later that Israel actually closed the country for any foreigners had to quarantine that were there for 14, or for 14 days they had to quarantine. And, and we felt good about it, and the lines were all shorter, and there were places where there normally was a three-hour wait, but we got to walk right in. But other people that were in Israel, they were afraid of us. They thought we were dangerous. And so for the first time in many of our lives, we walked through the marketplace, and people treat us almost like lepers, like we were unclean. They covered their faces. Uh, one guy had somebody look at him and say, you go home, and just letting them know, like, they thought we had corona. We had the coronavirus. And so they'd say, corona, like when they'd see us. And so with that kind of vibe, there was this one moment where we had gone out. It was only about half of our team. And we had gone out on an evening just going to see some different churches and sites that weren't on our agenda. And we were walking through the courtyard of this church. And we heard these other voices, these people talking. And they came out, and they all had hazmat suits on. And they looked at us, and we looked at them. And there was this, this still, like, awkward, frozen moment. And almost felt like a, a Western movie, like a cop, like who's going to draw? And they had these bottles of detergent. And because people have been saying to us, you know, Corona and covering their faces, I thought, are they going to like decontaminate us? Like, did someone call them, tell them we were coming through here? And it was a really tense moment. And then one of them said, all clean. And they weren't talking about us. They had just been cleaning inside the church. And we realized that when we went inside, we could smell all the disinfectants that were in there. But it was a tense moment. And we've got tense moments because we're living in tense times right now. And as I came back, I saw all the new normals that were taking place. Many of you are homeschooling your kids for the first time. 
Some of you had made fun of homeschoolers, had no plans of homeschooling. But think about how many of you have said this week, like, who changed math? Like, why are you messing with math? Like, my kids, I didn't know this was what was happening. And there's these things that are new and they're different. And Disney shut down. The NHL's not going. The NBA, no, like in our area of college basketball, no March Madness. And so things have changed. And my assessment is somebody who had come back into the United States, well, all this stuff had changed while I was gone, was there's, there's kind of like two camps of people right now. There's some that think it's just a bunch of media hysteria and hype that's going on. And there's some people that are hunkered down in panic mode and they're not leaving. It doesn't matter if there's social isolation, they're not leaving their house. And then you might be somewhere in the middle of that, but regardless of where you're at, we live right now during dangerous times. There was one article that I read that said, talking about the coronavirus, that some estimates say as many as 200 million Americans in the United States may become infected. And if that's true, and the current death rate stays true, then that means over 6 million people in the United States will die. Now, I don't know that that'll happen. Lord willing, that doesn't happen. But regardless of what camp you're in, if that's true, that means, think about 6 million people dying. Every person touches somebody else's life and they've got relatives or friends or some social network. That's a whole nation in grief. And we live in these dangerous times and many people are talking about we need to pray. Days of prayer and people calling for prayer. In fact, I even read one study that said that about 30% of atheists pray on a regular basis. And that was before the coronavirus. And so you got people praying, but lots of people are praying just generic prayers. Who knows who atheists are even praying to? But as followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to pray, but we're not just called to pray in general. We're called to pray actually dangerous prayers in dangerous times. And so as we open up the scriptures today, I want to challenge you. What if God's actually calling you to pray dangerous prayers during these dangerous times? If you've got a Bible, we're going to read today from Matthew chapter 7. And as a church, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. It's the most popular sermon that's ever been preached. It was preached by Jesus. It starts in Matthew chapter 5. And the context for what's happening is Jesus is at the pinnacle of his popularity. And Jesus has, has gone into Galilee, and he doesn't always do this. Sometimes when he goes and he heals people, it's one person out of a crowd. But in Galilee, he healed every person that was there. Can you imagine how popular he is? And if you want to see that, you go back to the end of Matthew chapter 4 and coming into Matthew chapter 5, and then it says he goes up on a mountain, and he sits down, and he begins to teach. And so there's thousands of people gathered around. There's a diverse crowd. Some people are just part of the crowd, like many people that attend church, probably many people that are watching church around the United States today. And they're, they want some benefit from Jesus. They want to know what Jesus has for them, but they're not committed to him. And they're, they're, that's part of the crowd. And that might be you today. And there are some people that were against Jesus. They were there to just critique and to find something wrong. And that might be you today too. And there were some people that were there, they were committed to Jesus. They were his followers. And they want to know, what did he have to say to them? How did, how did he want them to live their lives? What did it look like to really be his follower? And he's speaking to those people, knowing that the whole crowd is there. And he starts off, and he uses this, this Greek word, makarios. And, and it's just a word that means happiness. It means true happiness. And so you can imagine if a guy like Jesus, who's just healed all these diseases, starts to speak, and he's going to tell you how to have the very thing that every human wants, true happiness. Everybody's hanging on his words, but what he says next turns their worlds upside down. Because what he says next is not what they expect. Blessed, makarios, 
are the poor in spirit. And he goes on and he begins to describe what spiritual transformation looks like. And we've been talking about as a church what our vision is moving forward. And it's really what Jesus talks about in this sermon. That we want to be a city on a hill. We want to be the light of the world. We want to be the salt of the world. And it's that we would experience such spiritual transformation that leads to then gospel. That's the good news about Jesus. Coming to die for us, to give his life for us. Not coming to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for you and for me. That the gospel would be saturated in our area. And that's the summary of what this sermon's been about. And now he turns and he starts talking about prayer. In Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7. Look what he says. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts, good things to those who ask him? Now, here's the thing with this passage of Scripture. It's not a blank check. A lot of people throughout history have grabbed this passage, taken it out of the context that it's in this sermon, and used it like, whatever you ask for, if you just believe, you will receive. You know, if you just name it and claim it, and kind of, that's garbage. That is not what this passage is talking about. That This is not a blank check. Have you ever received a blank check? Like, even if you're given a blank check, like, as a church, we're pretty low pressure on giving as far as churches are concerned. We don't pass a plate. We just put a couple black boxes in the back, and as people are led, we ask them to, you know, put money in the boxes, and, and some of you do that. Some of you give online. If you, cur- if you were someone that gave through the boxes, I would encourage you right now just to give online uh, so we can keep doing the ministries, the small groups, the studies, services like this uh, that we've been doing, outreach in our community, our missionaries. Uh, if you give online, that'd be great, but Having those boxes in the back, we've had a lot of stuff given throughout the years. I remember one time people giving buttons, somebody gave a wedding ring, but one time somebody gave a blank check. And that can seem like, oh, that's awesome. Like, we can send all the missionaries we want. We can do all the outreach we want. We can do all the ministry we want. But there's a context, right? Like, it depends on who and it depends on what their intention was. Now, we contacted that person. They said it was a mistake. So there went that. But with this, you know, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. He's got unlimited resources, and so this means anything we want, right? No. In the context, what he's talking about here is praying not just for anything you want. He's talking about praying for something specific, and it's dangerous. And he gives us these three commands in this passage. Ask, seek, knock, three imperatives. They all build on each other. They're all in the present tense, and they all increase in intensity as you go through them. I'm going to use them as our three points today as we walk back through this passage. And the first one is simply this, that we must diligently ask dangerous prayers. Followers of Jesus Christ, we must diligently be asking God continually to keep on asking dangerous prayers. So you've got to ask yourself the question, what makes them dangerous? It's certainly not the gift that he's going to give, the answer that he's going to give. He's already told us that. If you go back to the passage and look, look at verses 9 through 11. He says, which one of you, he's, Jesus given an illustration here, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? And so the illustration here is, you know, a father calling your son in for breakfast and playing a practical joke on him, putting a stone on the plate that looks like a roll, and he bites into it, breaks his teeth. Like, he's saying, you wouldn't do that. Like, even as an evil father, you wouldn't do that. You're going to have to pay for the braces. He doesn't say that, but that's the idea is that you wouldn't hurt your kids. And he he gives the next one. He says, or if they ask for a fish, we'll give them a serpent. Now, some people, when they talk about this, they talk about a snake being dangerous, it would bite them, it's poisonous, but... 
People don't eat live snakes. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Have you ever eaten meat and you didn't know what the meat was when you went to eat it? I was talking to one of our elders uh, just today, and he was telling me about how one time when he was in Madagascar on a mission trip that uh, they were eating this fried meat, and he didn't know it. He just kept stuffing it in and enjoyed it, thought it was great. Then he looked over at one of the missionaries, and the missionary said, like just started mouthing, don't eat that. And he found out later it was cow brains that had been fried. Now, we're in North Carolina. We fry everything. Just go to the fair. But he didn't want to eat cow brains that were fried. Here, the, the picture is of a snake that maybe is in some sauce or it's mixed in with other food and you couldn't tell if it was fish or if it was a snake. But no, like a snake's unclean food. No Jewish father would give a Jewish son a snake and make him unclean. But look what he says next. He says, if you then are evil, well, how does he know if I'm evil? Well, we're all evil. We're all sinners. The Bible says for all sinned. And sin is when we do our own thing. We go our own way. We think we know better than God and we do that. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. And he's, Jesus here is talking about our depravity, that we're all sinners, that we for all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus is affirming that here in this passage and saying, but we're evil, but even evil fathers, even sinful people, we wouldn't do that to our kids. We're not trying to harm our kids. And then he says, how much more will your father, who's not evil, who can't, Habakkuk says, can't even look on sin, who's in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? The point is this, God only gives good gifts. So the question becomes, well, I've asked for things that I thought were good, and God didn't give them to me. Well, some of you may think of some specific things. Sometimes we're asking for a snake, and we don't even know it. We can't forget that our God is an all-knowing God. Now, sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. James talks about that. This passage is commanding us to ask. Sometimes when we ask, we're asking for things that are contrary to God's will. They're the things for, for our own selfish ambition. In fact, James says it like this in James 4. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So ask. But then he says this. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So this isn't just a blank check, ask whatever you want, and God's now got to do your bidding. That would make you God, by the way. This commandment is given in a context to a people, and remember, it's in this sermon that Jesus has been preaching since Matthew 5. In Matthew 6, he talks about prayer. He doesn't tell us what to pray, but he tells us how to pray when he says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, it's relational with God, who's in heaven. You're separate, you're other than us. Hallowed be your name, other is your name. Through our lives, make your name other. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom means your rule and reign. Your will be done. In other words, you're like when Jesus prayed in the garden, your will, not my will. Your plan, not my, your desires, so when we're asking, this is why it's dangerous right here. Because we're asking for God's plan, not our plan. Because some of us, when we're asking for God to do something, we want him to restore normalcy. We want to get back to our rhythms of life. We want to get out of social isolation. What we're really asking for and our motives, like James talks about, is we're really asking for God to restore our apathy. We're really asking God to restore our complacency. We really want God to get us back to our cultural Christianity. And maybe... He's disturbing that and giving us a good answer. It's just not the one that we want. Maybe he's stirring some stuff up to increase our affections and desires for him. 
Do you think he's really going to answer a prayer? God, make me more apathetic. We don't say that. God, make me more complacent. But if all we're asking for really is our comforts and our normalcy, then isn't that what we're asking for? And you've got to ask yourself, what is, what is prayer? This asking, this petitionary type prayer. And in reality, it's rebellion. I love what the author David Wells says about prayer, petitionary prayer being rebellion. He says this, it is in essence rebellion, rebellion against the world and in its, fall, the world in its fallenness, the absolute and undying refusal to accept as normal what is pervasively abnormal. We live in abnormal times. It is in this, in its negative aspect, the refusal of every agenda, every scheme, every interpretation that is at odds with the normal, get this, as originally established by God. Not our normal, what his normal is. And when he's saying to ask, he's saying, ask for my will, my desire. Ask for my kingdom, not your kingdom, my kingdom, my rule and reign in your life and the lives of the people around you. Ask for spiritual transformation that leads to gospel saturation. That's what he's telling us to ask for. That's why it's a dangerous prayer. And he says to do it repeatedly. It's in the present tense. He says, keep doing it repeatedly, persistently. It's kind of like when we were in Israel, it was safe. I mean, there was lots of security and lots of things going on, but as you know, things were changing by the minute as, uh, as we were touring and going to different places. And we had one day where we went out and we were going to go to some places that we had pre-checked. Like we'd sent our passports ahead, information, who was on the bus, all that stuff. But when the day was over and we were coming back through the checkpoint, you could tell something was wrong as the Israeli police came to our bus with machine guns and all their gear on. And my wife was kind of, you know, you could tell she was nervous. She looked at me as they were coming and the, the guide went out and he was speaking Hebrew to the other, the Israeli police. And I don't know if you've heard Hebrew spoken, but it's not the most like warm language. Was kind of, yeah, yeah, they were talking to each other. And, and I looked over at one of the elders and I said, um, what do you think they're saying? And he said, I don't speak Hebrew, but I can tell tone, and that's not good. And they took our bus, and they pulled us off to the side. And we didn't, tell, we didn't text home. We didn't want people to panic, but we were detained by the Israeli police. And they took and put our bus off to the side and had us wait there. Our guide kept going out, and he would talk to him, and he'd come back up. And finally, I leaned over to him about 15 minutes in. I said, what's going on? And he started telling me that they've made a mistake. There's a problem. They've, they're messing up over here. And I heard all what he said. But what I knew is they had guns and we were doing what they said. So it didn't really matter if they made the mistake. We were stuck there. The guy kept coming back and he'd come back and say, five more minutes. And he did that for about two and a half hours. What a lot of people didn't know is that my wife had told me before we got on the bus that she had to use the restroom before we even got on the bus. And so she's had to go to the bathroom for like three hours. We're sitting in this bus. And I said, hey, we'll go up to the, to the guard station. I'll take you up. This is raining outside. And so we walked up there, and then I said to the guard, I said, hey, my wife's got to use the restroom. And, and he said, I've got orders. No one's to use the restroom. That sounds kind of like ridiculous orders. And, and I was done talking at that moment because my wife stepped in. And she said, and those you don't know, Shanna's a, she's a sweet lady. She's kind and gentle and has become a southern, southern woman. Uh, but she's had to go to the bathroom for over three hours, and it's raining, and she's standing out there, and she says, you can't, there's old ladies on some of these buses. Like, you can't tell people they can't go to the bathroom. She started talking to him. He says, ma'am, I've got orders. Nobody's going to the bathroom. Now, I don't know where all of you are watching from. You may put it in the comments here today, but 
those of you in the South, you might know there's angry, and then there's finger-waving angry. And my wife got her finger out. She put it in the soldier's face. She started waving her finger in his face, said, you can't do this to us. I'm calling the U.S. Embassy. And I, at that moment, got a little tense. And so I just moved to, he looked like he was right-handed. I moved to the side where he would draw his weapon. And I'm not saying that Shanna got us released, but shortly after, she started waving her finger in his face. Our bus got released, and you can ask our team. There are other buses that were still parked there. One of the things that happened in that is she went back and she told our guide, his name's Uri, and Uri spoke the language. And Uri was interceding for us. Followers of Jesus, can I tell you something? You've got an intercessor. He's a high priest. His name is Jesus. He sits at the right hand of our Father, and he tells us to boldly approach his throne, and here commands us, ask, and keep on asking. Don't just ask once. You ask with perseverance. You ask with intensity. In fact, he increases the intensity, because the next thing he says is seek. And the next point is this, we must passionately seek dangerous pursuits. We must passionately seek dangerous pursuits. And see, the difference between asking and seeking is this, asking we do with words. Seeking comes from the heart. There's a desire, a passion that comes out of that. In fact, if you read through the Bible and you see seeking through the Bible, you see Jesus came on a seeking mission. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, it says that he came to seek and save that which was lost. The lost is us. He's telling us, you know, fathers, you're evil, that we're lost in our sin. We're sinful people. We're going our own way. There's a way that seems right to us. And he comes and he's rescuing us on a mission. He's seeking and saving the lost. That's why when he died on the cross, he was absorbing the wrath of his father. He was paying for our sins. The wages of sin is death. And he was dying that death on the cross. And because of his resurrection, he offers the gift of eternal life. It was a seeking mission. And a little bit earlier in the Gospel of Luke, before Luke 19, he gives some illustrations of seeking. In Luke chapter 15, the first illustration is of a shepherd. And the shepherd has a hundred sheep, and one of them goes astray, and he, he goes and he seeks, and he gets the one, the lost one. And then the next illustration is of a woman with a valuable coin that she loses, and she looks everywhere, and you have a desire, you have a, a longing, for the, so she, she searches everywhere, and she seeks for the coin. And the last one's the most intense illustration, it's a son, it's a lost son who thinks that he can find satisfaction outside of his father's house. And so he goes off and he starts wasting his life in all kinds of different things. But when he comes back, you see the father come running to him. He's a father who seeks. He's seeking you. He's seeking people whose hearts are fully surrendered to him. And he's telling us, we should, we should seek. We need to seek. And if you're watching at home and you got your kids, maybe they're playing Legos on the living room floor or doing something, this might be a time to pause this video. Say, what are some things that we seek? And think of different things in our culture that whenever you see somebody seeking something, it comes from a desire. Whether it's a police officer seeking a criminal or trying to solve a murder case, whether it's because they want to get the bad guy off the street or because they have compassion for a family or it's their job, there's always a desire that drives that. You see people that are looking for love and they're seeking romance. There's a desire that drives that. You see Somebody is going after a treasure. There's a desire that goes after that. There's somebody that's lost a child, and then they're trying to find them. We get these amber alerts. There's a seeking, a desire for that. And, and here, this seeking command doesn't happen in isolation either. See, in this sermon, just a little bit before Matthew chapter 7, in Matthew chapter 6, and verse 33, Jesus said this, Seek first the kingdom. That's the rule and reign of God. Seek first the rule and reign of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And so I ask you the question, are, are you seeking his rule and his reign? 
And for many of us, it seems like that's a yes and no question. It seems like the obvious answer is yes, but when you get to the motive level, is that true? Are you, are you seeking that? One of the places we visited when we were in Israel was this place called the Pool of Bethesda. You can read about it in John chapter 5. It's one of those situations where Jesus goes and there's a crowd of people and he only heals one. There's this guy that's been by the pool for 38 years. And Jesus comes to him and he asks him a question that I think it's, it's a profound but seems almost ridiculous question. He says, do you want to be healed? And I think if I were that guy, I'd be, I'd be like, I've been here for 38 years. Of course I want to be healed. Yes. It's a yes and no question. There's a reason why I'm coming here. Yeah, yes, I want. He doesn't say yes if you read the passage. If you go and you read the passage, he makes excuses for why he hasn't been healed. There's a superstition that if he got into the water, when the water was stirred, that he'd be healed. And talking about all the reasons why that couldn't happen. And, and you think about, does he really want to be healed? I think, well, of course he does. He's been crippled for 38 years. Well, doesn't that kind of become part of your identity after 38 years? Doesn't, don't you get used to your routine after 38 years? The other people that are crippled and disabled that are there for the same reason you are, that becomes your community. Like, you break your community, you lose your friends. And Here's the reality. Some of us get used to our lives when they're a mess. We get comfortable with the chaos. We get kind of just pleased with just the softness of what's happening in our lives. We get relaxed with our reality. And here's the, de- the deal. This that we have with the coronavirus, it's a new reality. But if it goes on for months, like people are saying, it will become our reality, and we'll slip back into apathy. Maybe God's stirring stuff up. Because some people ask the question, they ask this question, where is God in all this? Why doesn't he stop this? He's able to stop this. Let's be clear about that. And he hasn't. Why? I take you to a passage of Scripture in Luke. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus is asked about a tragedy that takes place. And I won't read you the very beginning, but you can go look at it yourself. Luke 13, verse 1. There's some people that had, had died. He says in verse 1, I'll just read it. It says, There were some present at that time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Verse 2, it says, And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? No. They didn't suffer this way because of their sin. He says, I tell you, but unless you repent, and so he goes after their heart, he says, Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he uses another example, a natural disaster. Or those 18 whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Here's the reality. Nobody really knows how long this is going to last. Except for God. But here's what I know for sure. All of us are going to die. It's a guarantee 100% of people that are watching and not watching this video will die. Of the coronavirus, of cancer, of a heart attack, of a car accident, you're going to die some way. All of us are going to die. And the good gift that God's giving us is eternal life. But we have to repent. We have to turn to him and let his rule and his reign and his will be done in our life. Do you want that? It's not such an easy yes or no question, is it? He tells us here, seek, seek his kingdom. Pray, ask for his kingdom. And not only that, he increases the intensity. He says, knock, knock, and the door will be open. And so our third point is this. We've got to keep knocking on dangerous doors. We ask, seek, knock, and it builds an intensity, right? Like asking is with our words. Seeking comes from the heart. But what is knocking? Knocking is an action. It's when we put some feet to our faith. It's when we start to actually do something here. Remember, these are present tense, and here's what that means. 
it's always the present tense. It's present right now, and now, and now. It's, still, it's always the present tense. And so when he gives us a present tense command, he's saying, keep doing this. Keep asking. So you asked once, and you get, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, and you're gonna, the answer is going to come. But here's the question I have for you. When you're knocking, and he opens the door, are you going to step in? Will you take action? We know that faith without deeds is dead, so without faith it's impossible to please God. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. Like all this starts to come together when he, you've been praying, then what happens? And I don't think it's a mistake. In fact, I know it's not. And I don't think it's insignificant that the next verse, one that oftentimes gets ripped out of context, is what happens here in this passage in verse 12. It's oftentimes called the golden rule. Look at what it says. So, so it's connected to what is therefore in light of what we just saw about asking, seeking, knocking, dangerous prayers. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So we call this the golden rule. Here's the reality. Jesus didn't come up with this. This isn't new. This had been around. Other people had taught this. In fact, Hinduism teaches this. Buddhism teaches this. You've got lots of religions that teach this. But here's what's radical about what Jesus taught. It was radical and new the way Jesus taught this. Everybody else had taught it in the negative. Don't do to other people what you don't want them to do to you. Don't, if it's hate for you, then don't do it to somebody else. And here's, here's how you fulfill that. By doing nothing. As long as you do nothing, you won't violate the rule. But Jesus turns it on its head. He turns it upside down. And he says, what you want done to you, you've got to proactively go do that for other people. And so you think about you know, what we pray as followers of Jesus, opportunities for the gospel. We pray for God to open doors. We pray for revival. We pray for these different things. And maybe God's answered and he's opened the door. And the question is, are we going to step in? And are we going to step up? And what does that look like? looks like a lot of things, but we can't forget it looks like loving each other inside the church too. What did Jesus say in John chapter 13? They'll know you're my disciples by the way you love, not the world, but the way you love each other. And so this time when we're in social isolation, it's never been more important for you church, and I talk to you specifically Southbridge Church, for you to be in a small group. You say, well, we can't gather. Well, a bunch of our small groups are gathering virtually through various platforms, and if you want to get plugged into a small group, I challenge you to go to our website and click on the small group link, or you can go to the Corona update section, coronavirus update section, and there's groups listed there that are meeting virtually. There's new groups that are starting all the time, and you just need people to just check in on you, encourage you. You can check in on them, find out each other's needs. How's the world going to know that we're as disciples if we're not loving each other, if we isolate ourselves from each other? It's so important we stay connected. And then there's opportunities all around us, and they're simple. They don't I mean, we're doing a food drive as a church. You can drop food off up here today, anytime throughout the week. And we're feeding kids in the schools because when schools don't meet, kids don't eat. One in five kids are in danger of not having food in the Wake County school system. And so the food you're bringing up here in the lobby is full of it right now. We're distributing and getting it to those families so that they're eating. And if you want to be a part of that, you can do that. What's your own neighbors? I mean, get on apps like Nextdoor and see what are the needs. Do people need errands run? Do things, things that you can do that other people can't do and and Christians tend to thrive in these moments throughout history. And I think, church, we've got to step up. 
We can't just be passive. We're praying dangerous prayers that require action, that God's rule and reign would happen in our lives and in the lives of other people, that he would spiritually transform us, that the gospel would go forward. And it can be so simple. I mean, I was at Walmart the other day, and they brought out some pallets of toilet paper, and people's faces looked like it was water in the desert. And so what if you delivered some random rolls of toilet paper to neighbors, put notes on them? Like, that would have been so ridiculous to say when I left to go to Israel on March 6th. But now it's like a tangible opportunity for you to show the love of Christ. And there's a lot of them. And church, Southbridge Church specifically, think about, we've been praying. Go back to the fall. We prayed for revival. And remember, revival's for the church. It's not for non-believers. You can't revive what was never alive. That's vival. That's revival is bringing life to what was once there and it's not there anymore. Maybe this is God's answer to our prayer. Maybe God's answering our prayer for revival and he's stirring right now. We pray for eyes to see needs. The needs are all over the news. They're not telling you all the spiritual needs, but you see these physical needs, and behind the physical needs are spiritual needs that are there. We've been talking about having spiritual transformation in our own lives. It leads to gospel saturation. Maybe this is our moment. Maybe we were put here for such a time as this. Those of you who might be joining us who might not even have a relationship with Jesus, can I go back to what I said a couple minutes ago? That 100% of you will die. So then what? The Bible teaches that we all sin. We fall short of the perfections that God has for us as perfect standard. And that the wages of sin is death. That's separation from him for all eternity. But there's a gift that he gives. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes on him would have everlasting life, would never perish. But everyone doesn't experience that. It's only those who place their faith in him. And so how do you do that? Well, the Bible says this, Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means you, you call out for the rule and reign of God in your life. You want his will, not your will. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. That's rescued. He came to seek and save. He came to rescue you from your sin. Saved from eternal wrath. That you'll be saved into a relationship with him. And it says in verse 10, For with the heart one believes and is justified. That means made right with God. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. And if you want to call upon Jesus to be your Lord right now, would you join me in just praying to him, acknowledging sin, and asking Jesus to be your Savior? And if you do that right now, would you mention it in the comments or would you connect with us as a church? Info at sfchurch.com and let us know that you trusted Christ. Will you want to pray to receive Christ? Let's pray right now. Father, I come before you and You know who you've got watching right now. You know who's listening and you know whose heart you're calling and drawing to you. And if that's you, will you pray this prayer with me? Dear God, I acknowledge my sin. I am a sinner. I am evil. I've done, when maybe you even mention what those things are, I've done things that are contrary to your will. But I believe that your son Jesus died for those sins on the cross. There's no sin that God can't forgive. And so you call out and ask him for his forgiveness. God, will you forgive me of my sins? And right now I want to ask your son Jesus to be Lord of my life. I surrender my life to him and ask Jesus to be Lord of my life. And the Bible says if you pray that prayer that you will be saved. In John chapter 1 and verse 12 it says he gives you the right to be called children of God. And I rejoice with you. In fact, if you go to that passage in Luke 15, it says that all of heaven is rejoicing over one person that turns, that repents, that turns to Christ. And if you just did that, I encourage you to let us know at that website, uh, sfchurch.com. You can go to the contact section. 
or if you just want to write in the comments of today's message, that'd be great. I'd love to connect with you. I will write you myself or give you a call, whatever information you give us. And church family, thanks so much for joining us to worship online today. We're glad that you're here, but like I mentioned, we've got to stay connected beyond just this experience through some of our small groups and different ways you can find on our website of different things that are taking place, outreach events, opportunities that are there. We've got resources. If you're a parent, Bridge Kids has a ton of resources for you to, to be teaching and discipling your kids while you're at home. And I mentioned giving. Um, if you normally give uh, by dropping money in those boxes here in our auditorium, I want to encourage you to shift your giving to online during this season while we've got this new normal. And even as I say that, let me, let me say, I know some of you are probably losing jobs. And I don't say that to give you any kind of pressure to give. But um, if you've got needs, we'd love to help meet some of those needs. It's one of the things that we do with some of the giving that's given to this church. And so would you just reach out to us as a church? The same way I told people who trusted Christ. Just go to our website, sfchurch.com. There's events, all kinds of stuff that's on there, things that are happening, information about the food drive. You can go there and check all of that out. But I want to encourage you, stay connected as a church during these days. If you know people, maybe you're not in a group with some of these people, but just text messaging, calling, checking in on folks, seeing how they're doing. And God's given us some unique opportunities. As we wrap up, will you read with me our benediction? I want to challenge you, even if you're all by yourself, in your living room, sitting at your laptop, whatever it is, would you read this benediction with me? Today's benediction is a prayer. Increase, O God, the spirit of neighborliness among us, that in peril we may uphold one another, in suffering tend to one another, and in homelessness, loneliness, or exile befriend one another. Grant us brave and enduring hearts, that we may strengthen one another, until the disciplines and testing of these days are ended, and you again give peace in our time, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.